Hello everyone, it's Shahid here from The Creative Floor and welcome back to another podcast. We have plenty of amazing job opportunities later on in this podcast, so please listen out for those a little later on. Very excited today actually to be bringing you today's guest. We have the ex-CEO of Havas Links, David Hunt. You right, Dave? Yeah, very good. Glad to be speaking to you. No, likewise. It's really great. I'm calling from London and you're over in California. Is that correct? And if it makes you feel any better, it's super cloudy. So it turns out, and I've never <laughs> told this, but in LA you have, you have May Grey and it's very much May Grey. So it makes me feel at home. God, yeah. Well, it's been awful over here in London. It's just like grey. It's just raining every two seconds. It's um, anyway, probably like being at Manchester, I guess, 24-7. So it's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. So we jumped on a podcast about four or five weeks ago with the Naked Health guys. And I think you had just left Havas. We quickly had a, a brief conversation. I said, oh, it'd be great to get you on a podcast. It'd be fantastic to, to find out what's next for you, why you left Havas. And, and also, I think you've been such a prominent figure within the healthcare industry itself. I just thought it'd be fantastic to maybe get your story about how it all started for you. And I think our audience would massively benefit from your journey, learnings, mistakes, regrets, any leadership tips that you've learned along your journey, if that's okay. And is that, is that okay, Dave? Is that why it's okay? <laughs> I don't want to put you under too much pressure. I mean, it, it sounds, you know, happy to go through that. And, you know, I can certainly say, you know, from a position of leadership, you make as many mistakes, probably more than you make correct decisions. Um, it's how you learn from it and how you commit to your direction that I think is the biggest advice that I give to anyone. But very happy to go go on that journey with you. Totally fantastic, and and also you've launched a, a clubhouse that's every three pm uh, GMT time called Health We Considered from Monday to Friday. So do you want to give a little bit of a shout out to that to anyone who hasn't perhaps joined one of those rooms? Yeah, I mean it's just been you know it, it's like anything it's experimentation and, and trying different things, and you know there was an opportunity, and me and a few friends thought we'd put it together. And fast forward six weeks, I think there's you know a thousand followers regularly, kind of fifty participants, and and every day we just talk on a different subject. So on Mondays we'll be tackling uh, diversity, that'll be led by Aurora and Kelly. Then um, you know Tuesday it's creative CPR and the ideas that deserve to live, the ones that got binned off pre-pandemic that need to make a return. Uh, Wednesday the most popular pharma fuck-ups. You know what are the lessons we need to learn and how do we move forward. <laughs> Thursday, we have the patient perspective, and then Friday, we do something around it. So the same time every day, and really, it's just informal. It's just fun. It's just different opinions. and just trying to break the monotony of Zooms. No, they're really good. I must say, I've um, I've joined a few, and um, they are really, really fantastic. They're only 30 minutes as well in the day, so um, they're quite easy to fit in. And I do have a bit of a, uh, of a confession to make. <laughs> Whenever I'm listening to them, I'm genuinely in the bath. So the, the odd times where you've invited me on stage, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, like it's going to be obvious I'm in the bath or whatever. So um, <laughs> just, just a heads but up. But that's there. what we want. We, we, we want people to be driving to pick up the kids. We want people yeah. to be, you know, in, maybe not in a bath, but, but it, it's meant to be. It's like a radio show, yeah. right? It's We expect yeah. people just want to break. We all spend too much time on screens and just that kind of audio only experience where you can listen. And hey, if you feel strongly about something, you know, raise your hand, offer an opinion. Um, it, it's just good fun, really. 
Yeah, it is. And I think some of the guests you've had on there as well are really awesome. Like they're, they're pretty mega, some of them. So I definitely if recommend if anyone's not on Clubhouse, send me a line. I've got a million invitations. I can get you on there and then do sign up to Health Reconsidered and sign off three o'clock in your diary every single day. OK, cool, Dave. Well, back to you. How far back do you want to go back into your life? I mean, I think I, I think that most people probably know that the first thing I did at Creative Links was was paint the office, you know, and graduate from university for three weeks. And then they used to send me off on, to get the sandwiches and they make me go for Burger King for the burgers and McDonald's for the fries. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years and I was I was the CEO. So I think we can probably skip that bit other than to say, you know, for any advice for anyone that's starting out on the career, I'm a huge advocate in terms of rolling your sleeves up, getting stuck in learning your trade, supporting one another, you know, and they they were, I think, some of the qualities that, that helped me to sort of succeed within, you know, what was an incredible agency, Creative Links. I don't know too much about Creative Links. Um, let's keep it brief, but just for those that are out there, maybe more of our USA listeners, what was Creative Links? Was it um, a little independent startup in Manchester that just focused on healthcare comms? Was that basically what they did? I mean, I mean to be honest with you, that's like a really important part of the journey. So the agency that I kind of fell into was incredible because of the vibe and the people and an intent to do like, you know, have a positive impact on society. But really at the time, it was it was a broad creative agency. So it wasn't in any way healthcare specific. It just happened to have a couple of, of health clients and it had some public sector clients and it had some some local clients. And I would say on the journey, probably the least popular thing we ever did as a leadership team and probably the most important was making that decision to just focus on healthcare and you yourself were a creative so you can probably imagine like how that went down in the studio when we're like you know what we're not going to work for this interesting public sector body and we're not going to work for this kind of local restaurant and we're not going to work for this animation house because we want to use our creativity to help and support clinicians and to you know improve patient lives and it, it, it was obviously really unpopular, um, but it was also, like, I think one of the real pivotal moments in what we were doing. And, and I'll just explain why a little bit. I totally respect anyone who wants to design, you know, a menu for a local restaurant and make it the best, most beautiful work of art you can ever imagine. And, and they, as an individual, their priority for me is, is totally on their craft, which I really, really respect. But then there's also people who want to have incredible ideas that have like an absolute impact and then knew, you know, and we knew the kind of people we needed to build creative links on. And it was people who weren't just proud of their craft, but actually wanted to really have like an impact in the work they were doing. So that's who creative links was. And that was, you know, one of the early sort of first steps on the journey we took. So how big were they when you joined? I imagine this is your first job, right? Your first grown-up job. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was I was like 18 when I first stumbled in there. Um, they were probably like 20. Um, they continued to grow well till about 45, 50. That's when myself and, you know, my three partners did a, did a buyout. I would have been 28 at the time. It would be 2008. Um, and we bought the agency from the then founder, Stuart Wilson, who's an incredible guy. And he's you know, one of my best friends to this day. Um, and then it was at that stage, really, we'd made that decision to kind of focus on health. 
sorry, what 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 made him leave? What made you buy him out? There's well, so there's three aspects to that, and I think the third is the most important. So number one, he'd you know at that stage done it for twenty years, and I think we can all relate to you know an agency life is tough, it's hard, and you know it can take its toll, and he'd put in a really good shift. Um, Stuart, to his credit, was more interested in his legacy than what he'd actually achieved in his own career. So he'd identified the four of them himself, Neil, Stephen, Dave, who he saw as his natural successors. He'd groomed us over the years and it was it was a natural kind of plan. Did he approach you and say, look, guys, I want to retire. Do you want this agency? Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we, at that stage, we'd known each other for 10 years. We were incredible friends. Uh, he saw us as the next generation. And as I say, like to his credit, his greatest priority was the legacy. And, you know, something I can really relate to. And I'm so proud that Avas Links continues to go uh, from strength to strength. And, you know, just this week, the awards they've won, uh, John McPartland for Andy's Diary. You know, I'm more proud of that than any award we won during my time, because I think it's more about the legacy you leave than, than what you do. So that, that was Stuart. But the third reason, and the reason I really, really think he, he left, is I'll always remember doing this pitch at Wyeth and it was probably like 12 months before, you know, we really started to enact the MBO. And we drive down to Maidenhead and we drive down to the old Wyeth office. And we're doing this pitch. And I love creative and I love creative ideas and I love creative teams. And Stuart was exactly the same. And I'll always remember this pitch because the central piece of this pitch was the job bag. And it was more about the job bag. It's more about process. It's more about timelines. It's more about project management. And that, I think was the end uh, for Stuart. And he's like, oh my God, you know, what has this industry kind of become? And, and, and I can really relate to that. You know, I can relate to my passion being creative and, you know, amazing work. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, I'm now doing, you know, heading in a different direction in the US because of my priority to the creative to talent, to work. But I think that was the final nail in the coffin, Stuart. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I had no idea about that backstory. Interestingly, at 28 years old, so you've become a partner of, of this you know pretty successful agency the three of you have decided that you're now going to focus on health i mean i don't know exactly how old you are but i'm sort of trying to gauge you against me and i'm, I'm guessing back then health wasn't the most creative space <laughs> in the world what made you think well we love creative work but so we're now going to focus all our efforts into this black hole of health which has got you know bugger all creativity in it what made you do that? So it's funny, right? So I'm doing the um, the Health Reconsidered Clubhouse with Paul Sims, who's a really good friend of mine. And I can't remember when, but it was a similar time. And I was at his event in Barcelona and he was doing these different interviews as he always did. And he's like, he grabs me and he goes, Dave, can we just have two minutes? And Paul interviews me. And he, he, I always remember he goes to me, he goes, you know, you're reasonably bright, you're reasonably creative. Like, why do you want to work in healthcare? And I just thought it was the most ridiculous question in the world. I, I couldn't understand why you wouldn't want to work in healthcare and use creativity to like, you know, help help patients and help families and help clinicians and have a positive impact on society. I, I didn't know, didn't make any sense to me why you'd want to sell trainers or restaurants when you could be doing something more profound. Anyway, so me and Paul do this interview. And to this day, we have absolutely no idea how or why, but it got like a hundred thousand views on YouTube in like no time at all. And we've got no idea how, why, or what took place. And we've tried to do it many times since, and we've had about two views. So it was funny. <laughs> and that's how me and Paul really know each other. <laughs> wow. 
So did you have any people in your agency at the time that had healthcare experience, like any, any medical writers or anything like that? Yeah. So there was, there was, there was, firstly, there was four partners, not three. So there's me and three other guys, uh, Dave, Steve and Neil. And, and half of what we did was literally 50-50. Half of it was health and half of it wasn't. The, the problem we had and the reason we needed, we knew we needed to make a change is, and you remember back in the day, you know, you go into a crepe studio on a Monday morning and you're working out who's working on what. And you'd stand there and go, okay, we're working on this incredible uh, treatment for non-small cell lung cancer. You know, who wants to work on it? And then we'd go and we're working on this menu for the restaurant just down the road. Who wants to work on it? And everyone would put up the hand for the, for this menu. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, this isn't going to work. You know, th- this is not how we're going to be the agency we want to be. And it was that as much as anything that made us kind of realize that we needed to attract the right talent. And we needed to attract talent that wanted to work with purpose. And, and it was just at the start of the kind of notion of millennials where that was becoming like increasingly important to have this real purpose. So I, ju- I just think we were at the start of like quite an important kind of society trend that we got on the back of. Um, and that really propelled our success. But the other thing at the time that was really, really important is that decision to go not just into pharma, but into pharma in, in the digital space. And again, that sort of, you know, is where I'm heading. You know, it's almost like life goes in a cycle. That's where I find myself now. You know, we knew at the time that pharma really, really had to change its approach to digital. And, and my background is, you know, I used to write machine code. Um, and, and that's kind of my background. And I was really committed to healthcare. I was really committed to pharma. And I was really committed to innovation. So it, it just felt natural that we would be holding the hands and coaching our various different clients across Europe in how they, you know, better leverage technology, whether that's closing marketing, CRM, data or social. So that, that's the kind of direction of travel. And today, I, I think we need to review that journey and I think we need to accelerate the journey. And I think that far greater use of technology is really, really important where I find myself now in the US. And one of the reasons I'm kind of considering my future is going, you know, how can I help pharma in the US to accelerate its adoption of, of data and technology and social and all those things? But going back to that story, it was that key time in 2008, 2009, and that commitment to be healthcare and be digital that was a key step in our in our journey. When you're back then, 2008, 2000, okay, I've worked out how old you are now. We're the same age. <laughs> so 2008, 2009, when you sort of got this focus, did you have a plan to think, well, we're going to grow the agency to a certain size and then sell it? Or what, what was your goal? What was your, what was your purpose back then? One of the things I'm really, really committed to as a leader and a, a piece of advice to give anyone, you know, and, and I think look plays a really big part. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think I've been very, very, very lucky and fortunate. I found myself surrounded by brilliant people. And you know, I think that's a big part. The second though, I think, is, is having a plan is really, really important. And knowing like, you know, where you want to be as an agency in, in sort of three or five years. And we always had a master plan. And then it would always be shared very transparently with the team. So we always knew where we were going. And then once we achieved it, it would then be be rebooted. So the first plan was to be you know, the best uh, pharma digital agency. And, and that, that was the sole goal. Um, the second plan, having completed that, was to be the most creative agency in the world, which is why winning the Can Healthcare Agency of the Year was, was so important in terms of that journey. But both of them came about from a very, very clear blueprint 
of what we wanted to achieve and how we were going to get there. And, and, that, and, that, and that, that was the plan. And, and the plan was to go, right, let's be the absolute best in, in digital. So, you know, we won um, the Jeff Brook Award for Innovation at the PM Society Award in 2005, which was really, really important. What did you win it for? We won it for uh, the Tasers in Detail Aid, um, which even to this day, if you were to stand it next to today's Detail Aids, would, would look good. You know, really strong creative, really uh, smart uh, interface, really good narrative, short, concise, good use of data. You know, it was, it was really, really good. Um, developed in ProScape, you know, and, and all those things. And, and we won the Jeff Brook Award for Innovation in 2005. That was the first time it really PM Society had recognized, like, for want of a better word, a digital asset. That then opened the brief, um, opened the opportunity to some better briefs. Started working with uh, uh, Janssen, Irinovskaya, was a big kind of advocate of ours. Started working with Florent Ward, uh, AstraZeneca, and it all came on the back of, of this recognition that we've done this incredible piece of digital. And, and a big thing for me is it's not just talking about it. I hate in this industry the notion of propaganda. I hate people at the moment running around going data this and data that, and they've never used it in their life. And, and, and I hate it, I really do. I like to be pragmatic in, in when we're doing things and make it a reality. And I think the fact we delivered this project open, and won this award, you know, opened the door to these, you know, all these new client opportunities. And then we just, you know, we started getting the best briefs. Then, you know, I was very grateful to the PMCIT for launching digital awards. And as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, over the first three years, we won a fair few. Um, and then, you know, we did a few industry first. You know, we worked with, uh, the likes of Alex Butler on uh, Psoriasis 360. Uh, we worked with uh, GE and Philip Halder on um, the first sort of iPad CLM uh, initiative. We worked with an incredible guy called Samir Mysteries now at GSK on this smartphone smartphone app uh, for dermatologists. And we just started getting these incredible briefs. And we got the better briefs and we got the better clients and with the better clients, we could do better work and we could win more awards. And then ultimately, I think we were just widely recognized is you know, the biggest pioneers in, in pharma as we came to like 2010, 2011, 2012. How big were you around about this sort of time, 2012? Probably we went from, you know, been about sort of 50 around the buyout. And you've got to remember the buyout's kind of a two-year period, right? So so probably at the beginning of a buyout, you know, we were probably 50. By the end of it, probably 65, 70. By the time we were acquired by Havas in 2012, we'd have been sort of 80, 90. So we kind of sort of doubled in size from when we bought the agency uh, to when we you know, began uh, the acquisition by Havas in, in 2012. Oh, okay, right. I got it. That's cool. Out of interest, I mean, you sort of, you went through that very quickly and very articulately. I just want to it just sort of struck me. How did it feel going from being an employee to an owner in the same place? Like, I can't imagine how that must have felt. Did that, I mean, how did it feel? Yeah, I'll always remember the day when I'm like, oh my God, I'm the most senior person in the building, you know, and, and that wasn't because I was a CEO at that stage, I was the digital director. Just anyone else who was over 25 had left the building, which made me the most senior person. And that was kind of weird and, and that was kind of fun. Um, but, you know, to Stuart's credit, and, and it's true today with the Vaslinks and, and anything I'm involved in, you know, everyone's really empowered. Everyone, you know, everything's done with a degree of transparency. You know, 
everyone, the thing I say to anyone that's ever started any team I've worked with is, you know, make decisions, take responsibility, work with autonomy. You know, I, I go against kind of committee, really. I want, I want people to, to trust your instincts. You know, I work with people because because I chose to and therefore, like, I back you. And that really probably came from the likes of Stuart. So it was never like, oh, suddenly you're the boss because you've always been empowered to make decisions. So it was never as, as black and white in the way you just described it. Did it feel different knowing that your money, it was your own personal money on the line? Yeah, so I'd be lying if I said no, but that was probably 1% of my mind and 99% of the mind was focused on you know, inspiring the best talent to do the best work. But it's easy to say, it's easy, but it's easy to say because we were successful. And and I've always found like my, my priority never, ever, ever, ever has been like money in any way, shape or form because I've been convenient. It's been, for me, it's going, let's get great people doing great work. And then I've been very fortunate that as a byproduct of that, we've been commercially successful. So, okay, that's amazing. So you've sort of had this amazing growth. You've been approached by Havas. They've bought you out. How did that transition affect your culture? Because it, it sort of seems to be quite a you know, predictable story in most cases where you have amazingly successful independents, they get bought out, the owners make a ton of money, and then all of a sudden the culture, all those, all the bits that make them super successful in the end get swallowed up by a big corporation and everything dies. How did, how did it feel and how did you not die? How did you get even more successful? Because I think that's the really interesting bit I imagine most people would want to know. Yeah, so really interesting topic. So firstly, the thing that I found, so obviously we won loads of awards and we grew and all that and we did some great work. But the thing that I'm like kind of most proud of is in about... 2015 there was an idea that went and everyone does this right but we're going to do an, an anonymous staff survey and get some feedback and we're probably i think we were about 200 250 people probably 200 and we do this anonymous do- survey and we know loads of people are going to lie even though it's anonymous we know loads of people are going to lie and then you know we do it in say november and december and then we do a company update in january and one of the questions we asked is we said how many of you would recommend a Vaslings as a place to work to your friends and family? And it blew my mind, right? The feedback was was like 85% of staff, of 200 staff, would recommend recommend the Vaslings as a place to work. And that's, you know, three years into the acquisition. I remember telling the staff, like, my only problem with this is, like, where do we go from here? We can only go down. Three or four years later, we do this, and we do the same survey every year, right? Anyway, three or four years later, we're approaching 400 people. We do the same survey, and it blew my mind, the results. 98% of people would recommend Avast Links as a place to work to their friends or their family, which of 400 basically means there was eight hundred. Sorry, there was only eight people in the room who wouldn't recommend the agency of a place to work. And that, for me, is probably like the biggest point of pride. Um, and, and that was done, you know, in collaboration with Avast. You know, and that's – we had the freedom and the autonomy – and they backed our judgment in order to be able to deliver, you know, that that kind of success. Just sort of clocking up the numbers as <laughs> you're going from, you know, we sold, we maybe got about 90, then we did the survey and we're 200, and then we did another survey and we're 400. You clearly had a huge amount of win 
from a business perspective. So the more you're winning, the more the networks allow you just to do what the hell you want. I mean, is that basically it? Yeah, yes and no. So one of the big, so so firstly, we, we were, the reason we chose Avas was down to the people we met. So it was obviously financially like, um, um, and you know, there was multiple offers clearly. We were, we were quite prominent at the time because of digital and all the holding companies and what digital. So we were reasonably well sought after. The reason we chose Avas was down to the people. And, you know, whether it was Ed, Donna, you know, whoever we met at the time from Avas, we really, really warmed to and, and continued through to this day, you know, in terms of good chemistry. And, and what they gave us, certainly in Europe, was that autonomy and that responsibility. And they backed our judgment, which meant there was no real difference from before to after the acquisition. You know, they acquired smart people and they allowed smart people to continue to do what they did, um, which was great. But it wasn't all like fun. So there's um there's a pub just next to like Euston train station. And I remember being sat in there with one of my partners, like Steve Nick, and it was probably 2013. And and not many people really know this, but we're sat in this pub, it's like in the afternoon, probably three-ish, and we're we're heading back home. And I'm chatting with Steve and we're going, Oh my god, it's rubbish. And he's like, Yeah, it's rubbish. And like we've got staff leaving morale's low the work's bang average we're inefficient and it, and it was honestly not not everyone knew this the outside wouldn't know this but but in 2013 we were pretty rubbish um and we were surviving really you know in terms of maintaining a semblance quality work based on tenacity and what had basically happened is we were we were at 100 people i always remember it you know 100 110 and we were still working and behaving like we were 25 40 and all of our ways of working that were brilliant when we were 25 or 40 were now absolutely like killing us. So every day, a different creative would be working on a different brief. Every day, the accounting team would spend all of their time like horse trading for resource. And every day, it was just a total pain in the ass. So I'm having a drink with Steve and we're going, you know, in it, <laughs> it's, it's rubbish. Don't you remember when we were 25? It was so much fun. Isn't it rubbish now? And we obviously had a couple of beers and neither of us can remember whose idea this was. He claims it was his. I claim it was mine. <laughs> but we basically said, why don't we just go back to being 25? That was probably his idea. And I think he meant, you know, whatever. And I'm like, why don't we go to four teams to 25, Steve? Because we've got all these people. So we arrived at this notion and then it would end up becoming pride. is what it'd be called. And we became these four teams of 25. And each 25 was like its own standalone agency. So it had client pacing, planning, medical, uh, creative, and production. And it'd go into 25. And that was like one of the most important decisions uh, that we ever made. And, and we came up with the idea in a pub. And I said in my introduction, if I was to give a piece of advice to anyone, it's like as a leader, just have total commitment to the promises you make and the decisions that you make. And we came up with this idea. I'm like, we're going to split this agency of 100 we're going to go to these four teams of 25 and we committed to it. And eight, eight weeks later, something like back end of August, like we did it. So, you know, everyone comes in the agency, they all get given one of four color t-shirts, they stick them on. We get in a couple of coaches, we go out for the day, you know, we do all these like games in these new teams, you know, we address everyone about the way we're now going to work, you know, and, and we commit to hundred percent. And at that time we'd hired people to go in the office and they moved everyone's desks around and they moved, you know, the pictures on the desk and they moved the little the snacks and we moved everyone completely around. So what it meant is, you know, 
the creatives who'd been sat as a studio of 50 were now sat as as four teams of, of 12 or 13, whatever the number is, and they were sat with the accounts people and the planners. And again, you know, this was spectacularly unpopular with some people in the business because the creators want to sit with creatives and blah, blah, blah. And I have to tell you a story about Tom Richards, you know, when I, when I told him about this and he thought it was absolutely mental. Um, but, but we totally committed to it, right? And as a kid, uh, I've always loved soccer, as I now call it. And as a kid, I'd always wanted to organise like a five-side tournament with my mates. And now we were 100 people with these four teams, 25, so I could do a, could do a football <laughs> tournament. So about like three weeks after we've done this, we organised this football tournament at local place. The going place tournament's great fun. Everyone kicks lumps out of me, obviously. And then afterwards, we go for drinks. And I've said this so many times. I knew that Pride had been a success because we went in the pub afterwards for drinks and it wasn't all the creatives in one corner and all the planners in another and all the accounts people in a third. Everyone was now sat in these multidisciplinary teams. And it was like absolutely amazing because we no longer need to organize meetings to drive this like collaboration. And what it meant is like everyone could really get uh, under the skin of different therapy areas and commit to different therapy areas. They still had the diversity in work, but they were also, they knew everyone in the team and ultimately they could take pride in the work they were doing and the team they belonged to. Now, ultimately, when I left, you know, what was four teams, I think it could be as many as 10 or 12 now, but it created this like really, really important, important scalable structure that basically came from a pint and a really good whinge <laughs> in a pub next to Houston train station. That's a great story. And, and, you know, you talked about autonomy being a big motivator for you in the early days. And that's what I got from this, you know, in 2013, I think you said it was where everything was rubbish and all that sort of stuff. But actually, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but breaking, breaking such a large group of people into their own sort of mini agencies, if you like, gives them that autonomy. So sort of almost brings back some of the, the things that made you so successful in the early days. Um, back when when you're much bigger yeah that's 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 really fantastic so that's a structure that still um is standing today is it yeah yeah 100 yeah that's amazing so at this point you're you're running the manchester in london office is that right well myself dave uh stephen neil so we were always a team so we would run uh both both manchester and london um and, and it and it and it was an amazing team and I'm incredibly grateful for them as, as partners and friends. Um, and then what happened then is obviously the next stage is going, right, cool. So we'd we'd fulfilled our, you know, sort of three, five-year plan of trying to transform, you know, pharma from a digital point of view. And then we'd sort of made the decision that, you know, we now need to sort of take all of our enthusiasm and our insight and our energy and our ideas into the creative space, which is kind of the next leg of the journey. Okay. Do you want to let's get into that then? Cool. So obviously, like obviously, Tom plays a really, really big part of that. Tom Richards. I think it's fair to say, you know, no one's had such a profound impact on my career as as that guy. And 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 before before he arrived, what we'd done a good job of, and I'm sure he'd say this, is creating like the platform that would allow him to to be this catalyst for our, for the agency. Um, you know, we'd we'd sort of arrived now at this position of, of wanting to work with purpose. We'd written a white paper called Good Pharma, which was about trying to improve lives, drive commercial success, which came from uh, David Jones's book, 
uh, who cares wins. So that really sort of gave us our mission and the idea of let's use our like brilliance and our energy and our passion to want to change lives. Um, I think it was one of the first years of Can Health. There was a guy who spoke there called R. John Findolino, who's, you know, absolutely amazing. And he gave this talk called Making Pharma Cool. And I always say this, like I went to the talk thinking, this sounds ridiculous. If you want to be cool, go and sell trainers. I want to use creativity to change lives. So I went to really kind of give him a hard time. And I realized within two minutes, I was an idiot and he was a genius. <laughs> and and the sentiment of his story was, if pharma can climb down from its ivory tower, you know, and start to be in the community, for the community, working with like empathy and humor, you know, we've got far greater chance of sort of changing behaviors and building relationships and ultimate brands. So in loads of ways, that provided like the inspiration for the methodology and sort of Good Pharma provided like the mission and the emphasis. And, and, and they were sort of two really important ingredients and then the structure. And then Tom was really the kind of catalyst that took those and then, you know, took us on that journey to, to being Can Healthcare Agency of the Year. So I'll always remember like, you know, meet, meeting Tom, if you want me to go into that or not, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah, go, let's go. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so so I met Tom and there's two, again, there's two versions of this story. There's mine and there's his. So <laughs> I met Tom at this like, I met Tom at this like Manchester networking event and I didn't really go into the Manchester networking event because I couldn't see the benefit to me because there was no real like potential clients there. I was more going to like the farmers and this stuff. But I, I went to this Stodge Podge, I think it was called, somewhere. And it's a Friday and it's a, it's a pretty beery event. And um, they do that thing where they make you move like chairs after every course. And I ended up being sat next to this guy called Tom. And he had absolutely no interest in talking to me. And I had absolutely no interest really in talking to him. I had no, I had no idea who this guy was. But, but I think it was like the main course. So we ended up chatting to each other quite a bit. And it immediately struck me, uh, struck me that this guy was, you know, one of the most incredible creative minds I think I'd ever met, you know, and, and, and he was telling me about his approach and about his work. And I was just like totally fascinated by everything he did. And, but I was also like, but you're selling whiskey and you're, you know, you're selling like gambling websites and, and all these and cars, like, you know, why are you selling whiskey? And, and we're having this conversation and he is even less interested in me. And I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about our work and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah we're working on this working farmer. And he's like, oh my God, can I swap with someone else? And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, we're working on this, we're working on this, you know, basically like this cure for hepatitis C. And he's like, wow. Like, yeah, but the problem is no one knows about it. So you've got this work of the scientists that's absolutely amazing. And they've developed this breakthrough treatment that's increased like, efficacy from one in two to like nine in ten and it's reduced like the the treatment journey from a year to like 12 weeks and instead of it being hell for a year and you might not be cured you've got one in two chance it's now 12 weeks not too bad and you've got a 95 percent chance of being cured again but the problem is like no one knows about it and that's why communications is so important so we both kind of agree on that bit of the story I think he phoned me that night and said, when can I come and work with you? He says, I then courted him for six months and I promised him a shower in the office so he could like, so he could cycle into work. Somewhere in between is probably the truth. But um, right. that was obviously a really important step. 
So this is when? Is this in 2012, 13? No, this would be like 2014, 2015. So okay. we, we then, you know, we then had this, you know, we'd established this plan of we wanted to be, you know, the world's most creative agencies is where we wanted to be. We wanted to compete with you know, Area 23, you know, and, and some of the work from those guys. And that, that's where we wanted to get to. And that, that's a big dream for a small agency in Manchester. Um, but we've got this plan. You know, we've got, we've got this infrastructure, which was great. We were investing in incredible amounts in terms of learning development, uh, onboarding, induction, well-being benefits, you know, and everything we thought was important to create the best possible environment and, and have people want to work there. We'd got this mission that was, you know, wanting to improve lives and we've got this way of doing it, which was transformative, creative, and trying to really disrupt the way that farmers did the advertisement. And then Tom joined and he was the catalyst, really. You know, it was at that point, I'm really taking a step back and going, this is yours. You know, how do we now take that next step and how do we attract the real best talent and how do we really, you know, transform what we do? And, and in return, I had to teach him how to pronounce brand names farmer names and stuff like that <laughs> that's a good deal i think you got out of that um so that's great so that's back in 2015 were there any regrets looking back on that period no not really i mean you make like we you know we launched loads of little businesses that didn't work you know we did loads of things that weren't successful we got fired from a couple of clients um it's the same as any agency and you just you know you learn from your mistakes as as much as anything um i i think you know big learners you've got to work with the right clients i, th I think we probably all get a sense where you know the chemistry is not right and i think you know in, in earlier years i'd probably try and work through that um i, I don't think that's probably the right approach um and, and i think you know that was a big lesson for us um but but there was loads, you know, like I say, we launched loads of things, it failed. Um, but you only really hear about the good stuff. But but I think you learn as much from the failures as anything else. Um, and for me, you know, what really drove the success is there were some really kind of key campaigns, you know, in our journey. I think Tom would probably reflect and go, the work we did for Novartis in dermatology, actually dermatologist for a kiss, was probably one of the most important campaigns we did. It, it didn't necessarily win barrel loads of awards. But it definitely transformed what we believe was possible in the space and gave us, you know, that all important case study to say, hey, you know, we don't need to just use pictures of smiley patients. We can, you know, use humor or empathy or be striking and bold. Um, so, yeah, that's how we went. It's really interesting. Uh, just, you know, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you talked about working with the right clients. How much autonomy do you have working with the clients that you want to work with when you're within a network? So, you know, I remember being fired twice. And 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 it it was obvious that was the direction of travel. You know, so I think now with experience, I can see, and I think clients will respect it as well, as going, you need great chemistry. To, to do great work you need trust you need to share a belief in where you're going and, and it's not that i'm saying our belief is right in any way shape or form because i'm not but but if we've got a certain way of doing things and if i've got a certain way of doing things and if it's around you know experimentation i mean a little bit bolder and a little bit more transformational you know it goes without saying to make that happen you need that strong relationship with a client who shares your values and, and i just think i'm at a stage in my career now whereby like I would sort of make those decisions. I'm sure you're probably the same 
and going, yeah, you know, w- we should work with with clients where there's a natural kind of chemistry. And equally, there are agencies who have great chemistry with the clients I don't. And, and I, you know, would encourage them to work together and, and good luck. In terms of what you can do in a holding company, I think it's much more difficult. I think it's much more difficult. And, and that's, you know, with no disrespect to any holding company, it's just the fact of life and the commercial pressure you're under, um, which is just one of those things. Okay, well, I think it's time for one of our job opportunity shout outs. The Creative Floor Superstars is our talent recruitment platform. And we have some amazing opportunities in New York for creatives at all levels and all levels for client services. So if you're interested in a new opportunity, please email Peter at superstars at the creative floor. And if you want to reach the ears of 15,000 people with any opportunities that you might have, please do get in touch. I made the decision, you know, to come to the US uh, for a couple of reasons, really. One is I just didn't want to reflect back on my career and go, wow, Dave did a good job of us links, period. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to like have more chapters to my story and I wanted to have uh, different experiences you know, I certainly didn't expect the pandemic to unfold and not to be back to the UK for like two years. Um, but that that was a real motivating factor. And also, you know, to try and test yourself in what is undeniably like the biggest market. So been here now for been here now for two years, been in the, been in this study for 18 months of those, 15 months of those. Um, but excited to kind of get out and explore again. Um, but for me, it's been it's been amazing you know, from a, from a kind of professional point of view. What, what's been amazing about it? Like just learning, you know, I, I, I remember being ignorant uh, to the scale and size of the US. Of course, we all say, yeah, we understand, but I don't think you do till you hear. Um, and it's just fascinating to see, you know, the different dynamics at play and uh, to see the different challenges they face in the US um, and, and to see the way agencies work, you know, and, and to see, you know, I, I feel like there is, too much propaganda i feel like you know there needs to be more focus on on actually like transformational work um and and i'm really excited to continue working in the us and to try and help to transform really the way that the way that pharma builds brands and and that'll be a collective effort that that requires you know brilliant brilliant people across the agency world uh brilliant kind of clients um but but for me there's a huge amount of work to be done post-pandemic in, in how we build brands um, in the US, how we make much better use of technology, how we go beyond just talking about things like data and omnichannel to actually, you know, making it a reality. Um, and, and same with same with patient or consumer services, you know, for too long, the idea of a good patient service is a leaflet. And, you know, the likes of me and you have been so many client meetings where we've gone, oh, and we have, right? You and I and everyone in Century's had amazing ideas. It's like, oh God, we can do this brilliant thing on like social media, a brilliant thing on a smartphone. And you know someone's going to turn around and go, yeah, but my grandma's not got a smartphone. And you know, the silver lining for me of the pandemic is what I describe as as a tech-enabled society. And what that means is you can't hide behind excuses anymore. You know, we've now got to create not just like patient leaflets, but incredible uh, patient support, you know, products and services. And they can be incredibly simple and they can be very, very discreet, but they should absolutely go beyond just meeting like the basic information needs of patients and consumers 
and start to like actually have a meaningful impact on their lives. So no, I'm like super excited about, you know, the coming couple of years and being part of this inevitable, like for me, revolution that's going to take place in how pharma build brands and how it supports patients and consumers. Yeah, that's great. I mean, just out, just out of interest, my own sort of selfish interest, really. What's the difference between UK market and the US market when it comes to the digital space? You know, is the US, would you say, more advanced or would you say we were more advanced just from your own perspective? I think in Europe, there are pockets of brilliant agencies and brilliant people who are making incredible use of technology and doing incredible work. And I think the same is true in the US. The difference is size. The difference is size, which for me means there's a lot more work to be done in the US. And that's why I'm as passionate and committed today as I was 10 years ago. And that's why I can see parallels with that journey we took when we first started to talk about CLM, CRM, uh, social as today and talking about data and AI. But if there's anything I achieve over the next five years, it's not about talking about data and AI. It's about actually using it in a meaningful fashion. Yeah, that's amazing. So you you left Havas this year, is that correct? Yes. And it and it was brilliant and it was amazing. And I and I'm, i couldn't be more grateful. You know, we joined them in, in 2012. Um it was an eight year journey and you know what an amazing acquisition. And that takes two parties, which was ourselves and Havas. And you know, it was brilliant. I mean, it, it, it's certainly a, a phenomenal story. It's amazing. So the question that I really want to know, and again, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, is, is why do you leave? I think there's, there's, there's two reasons. Well, there's probably three. Um, number one is Havas has always been incredible at evolution and in terms of evolving how they work and the services they provide. And I've got the greatest respect for, for the way they do it. Do I think now it's about evolution or revolution? I'm, I'm probably more in the latter camp. Um, so therefore, you know, there's a slight difference of opinion in terms of rate of change. I certainly respect their opinion and I massively respect the success. And I know they'll continue to do a brilliant job uh, for the clients. But I also know there's, you know, there's things that you can do quicker and faster. And I believe there's that opportunity to have an impact. The second thing is, you know, from a personal point of view, you know, Am I better as, as part of a leadership team or am I better being led? You know, I think we'll have to wait and see. You know, I've got different experiences from, from that point of view. It's very, very hard when you're running a business, you know, as part of a team from the age of 25 to then for the first time in your career to, to really have, you know, bosses. It's very strange for me. Um, so there's a lot I can learn in, in that respect. Um, but I think, you know, more than anything, I don't have by any stretch of the imagination, even nearly the answers. So what I'm doing at the moment is speaking to people and, you know, looking at what people are different people are doing, how different agencies, you know, are operating, how different organizations are building brand brands inside and outside life sciences, how different sectors are using technology. And really what I want to do is is work out, you know, collectively, how should pharma be building brand? Brands, how should pharma in the US be delivering credible, you know, products and services uh, for patients and consumers? So for me at the moment, I'm on a period of discovery. And that's really why we're doing things like Clubhouse to really, you know, get different opinions. You know, I've got my experience, I know what I've done before, but now more than ever, 
I want to learn and absorb and really consider, you know, what the future looks like. So you're, are you planning on staying out in the US with whatever it is that you end up doing? 100%. 100%. It, it's, it's a start for me of an incredible journey where I feel, you know, as part of a team, we can have an amazing impact. And I'm just, you know, excited for the future. I just want to take the time because, you know, I've been head down for such a long period of time. And, and I want more than anything to kind of observe, learn and adopt. And as I say, consider where the future of the industry is. What have you learned so far? Um, I mean, you know, I've learned so much from the, from the clubhouse. You know, there was, and, and, it, and, it, and it, honestly, like, it's almost daily. So we had uh, a brilliant speaker on last week called Dave Burst. I don't, I don't know if you captured it, but, but he, was, he wrote a brilliant book around how to get to great ideas, which was all about, you know, how do you set up a corporation to, you know, curate the best ideas? And, and it was brilliant. And then the pandemic took place and we had him on. And my question to him was, you know, you wrote this book, and it was brilliant, you know, and how has that changed? And he just left this impression on me that was just incredible. And he go, he basically said, Dave, the decision is not between working in an office or working from home. The decision is between working in an office or working outside of an office. And what we've been doing recently is we've been at home because we're in lockdown. But actually, what we really need to do is unlock the 99% more potential from the freedom we've now been given. So that, for me, was, was like a kind of fascinating insight. And, you know... I've loved everyone's commentary on on what you know the agency of the future looks like and how we operate. I think Phil Butler's got some incredible points of views on this, um, but no one's got like a crystal ball. And I've just enjoyed hearing you know different people's opinions of need to be back in the office. We're not going to be back in the office, <laughs> and you know that that for me, you know, I, I spent twenty years as part of a team building an agency that relied on being in the office, and that's all I know. And now it's fascinating for me to look at different ways of what, you know, the future looks like in terms of how agency operates. And on the flip side, there's, there's how, how you build brands, you know, and that's when, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of different time with different people on, on how they work. Um, and again, you know, this notion of this tech-enabled society, you know, and having the likes of Alex Kumar, who was on Clubhouse this week, talking around the lack of intellectual challenge for physicians and thinking about the role we can play as creatives in terms of trying to inspire, encourage, and challenge and support the intellectual uh, prowess of clinicians. So I- I'm learning loads, which is brilliant. And if you want to learn more, come to Clubhouse. Absolutely. No, totally. And I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think, you know, you talk about freedom when you talk about the office or the home. And I think this is kind of your your moment of freedom to really kind of get into a different space. It's just it's just liberated more than anything. It's just just that notion of, of a blank sheet of paper is awesome. Do you not miss people like your old mates or that lifestyle? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, like one one hundred percent. Like, you know, I miss, I miss working with Tom. You know, we used to share a desk. It was very messy. <laughs> uh, I, 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 miss, I miss sharing a desk with, like, my eagles. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. of course I do. But, but I also love the freedom. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it's just, it's exciting to, to, the thing is when you're running an agency, for me, is you've got certain things you've got to do. So to hit your certain goals, financial goals, you've got to deliver certain projects. 
And you almost become handcuffed to a way of thinking. So actually having a blank sheet of paper and looking back and go, that was cool. We should do that. And that was wrong. We should do less of that. And this is what they did. And that's how they learn. And what else can we get from different sectors? Honestly, it's the most fun I've had in, in years. And it's just liberating. And I just can't wait to kind of learn more and then arrive at an idea that I think will hopefully you know, have a positive impact in the U.S., you know, as part of a as part of a team. Everything you've said, I think, ring, will ring true to a lot of people. We're not we're no longer in the world of an evolution. This is revolution time, <laughs> and 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 farmers had a really lovely spotlight on it. Frankly, since the pandemic, you know, because of all the vaccines, it's obvious. But I mean, you know, pre-pandemic, it was in the same level as estate agents and bankers. Really, it was pretty hated within general society. So there's never been a more important time to really re reimagine communications and and how they can lead slightly more purpose-driven work so the fact that you've you've now uncuffed yourself from the sort of stresses and the admin of, of a big holding company as much as it was amazing for you and your growth so it's a blessing really that you're in this position just lastly Dave anyone listening to this right now who perhaps is in a job independent or network or, or other and perhaps is feeling a little bit bogged down they are feeling handcuffed uh, they're not feeling the most inspired right now they you know they've got a million projects to get going and none of them are that exciting what's your advice to them at the moment i think more more than ever in the way we're working is i think like balance i think protecting your kind of personal time i think now more than ever we need to show more discipline I think, you know, as leaders, we have a responsibility now to like people's lives, not just the work life. Um, I think I think the world's really, really tough. And I think, you know, for me, the kind of leaders and the team members that do work with kind of respect for one another, kindness for one another, understanding and empathy and balance, I think will go on and, you know, really benefit from the silver lining of the pandemic, which is a, you know, massively improved work-life balance and a newfound respect for what's important in the world um so my advice is don't keep doing what you're doing like you know take the moment to to re-engineer the life you want to lead and the balance you want to have and i'm absolutely convinced i'm sure you agree with this the happier you are the better your work is fantastic amazing and i think that's a that's a really lovely place to conclude thank you dave i just massively appreciate your time today i think a lot of people will have well a would have loved to hear your voice all the way over in california but also be hugely inspired by your story and some of your learnings too and i just wish you all the very best in whatever the future holds for you i will certainly be joining uh, clubhouse in my bath so yes i just thank you so much for your time right i'm gonna leave it to because i'm bloody starving <laughs> yeah no worries thanks again dave and we'll speak soon see you in a bit take care well, thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you want to share your story on our next episode, please get in touch at awards at the creative floor.com. <laughs> <laughs>